Hi everyone, Charlotte here from Enriching Environments on Tuesday, the 12th of April. And welcome to Top Tip Tuesday on Instagram Live. Today is a really, hi Jane, today is a really auspicious day because, hi everyone who's joining, hi Angela, hi Meta, everyone who's joining today, hi David, um, everyone who's joining today is a very auspicious day because it is pretty much exactly two years since I started Top Tip Tuesday on Instagram Live. 14th of April 2020 is when I started doing these weekly um, lives on different parenting topics with Montessori and yeah so today is a really um, a really really special day and um, quite a humbling day to know I've been doing this for this long um, but it's I, I love it in fact I love it more and more as the further I go on thank you Dave hi Jane thank you so much um, so this evening we are talking about um, the second um, sensitive period in Montessori terms um, and that is the sensitivity to movement and hi Jenny are you joined Jenny sent me a message eight minutes ago saying what time is it in South African time and um, and yeah so she's joined which is fab so we're talking about sensitivity to movement this evening and this is a sensitive period uh, just to recap quickly sensitive periods um, are windows of opportunity for spontaneous um, unlimited learning in life of a child in the first six years of life and Dr Montessori identified six sensitive periods six I was counting I was saying five but this is six sensitive periods and they are movement repetition language order social uh, aspects in life and small objects. Last week we did, uh, hi everyone who's joining, last week we did sense of order, this week we're doing movement, um, the sens uh, sensitivity to movement. So, um, as I'm sure that all of you know, I know we've got educators watching and we've got parents watching, um, movement is absolutely crucial in the life of a long, uh, in the life of a young child, and um, I attended a really interesting lecture online a couple of years ago, about eighteen months ago, by um, a Montessori educator, Montessori parent, uh, professor um, in the U.S. called Laura Flores Shaw, and she gave this incredible lecture about how movement. We now know that um, movement is the foundation for all cognition and emotional regulation later. Um, <clears throat> I actually did an Instagram live on that that's on um, Spotify and iTunes and YouTube that you can go and search. It's episode 13 of my podcast, Enriching Environments podcast, and that's all about how movement is the beginning of all cognition. Um, and that is a really, really fantastic um, and fascinating topic that Dr. Laura Flores George sort of talked about. Um, so we know that movement is the foundation for everything. As Montessorians, we know that children need to move babies from um, a few minutes old. The babies can move. If babies are placed, this is a, an amazing, amazing fact, and maybe some of you have given birth have experienced this, is that if the, a baby after birth is laying on the mother's tummy, then they will wriggle. They will make their way, wriggle their way up to the mother's breast to feed spontaneously on their own if they're given time to do that um, so movement is possible from 
birth and this is the same for any mammal every mammal um when i was uh, first breastfeeding olivia i remember my lactation consultant said that when a polar bear is born when the mother's hibernating so they're born and then they um wriggle around themselves the mother's hibernating so she's asleep so the the polar bear cup then wriggles around so the mother's teats to um feed for themselves without any help and it's just absolutely amazing what um, mammals and, of course, what human babies are capable of. So movement um, is absolutely vital and it's possible from birth. But we need to find uh, to uh, provide an environment in which this can happen. And that means really shifting our perspective on what young children and babies are capable of. And moving away from the idea we have in Western society about restricting babies and restricting toddlers and restricting young children and turning that around 180 degrees, knowing that they can move, knowing that they need to move. And our role is rather provide an environment in which they can explore and move and then they find their own limits and then um, they learn to move safely because they're moving um, within the capacity and the capability and the um, of their own body so when we let me give you an example of what I mean by that so a child who is lifted on top of a climbing frame or a jungle gym or up onto a platform in the playground is more likely to fall than a child who has been given the time and the space um, to climb up there themselves. And a child climbing from, you know, up a ladder or a scramble net or what have you is going to take months, is going to take years for them to do it themselves. But if we lift them up age two, they're much more likely to fall down because they haven't got any sense of spatial awareness. They haven't climbed up themselves. They haven't had all of that lovely testing and um, trying things out and feeling their own stability before they're put up into a high place. So that's what I mean about a child being able to, in, in, in terms of movement, a child will only uh, move within their own capacity, within their own capability, if they've been able to do that for themselves from the beginning. Um, uh, a lot of you may know about the Montessori floor bed. So um, when Montessori spoke of freedom of movement, she spoke from the very early hours, weeks, months, is to not to restrain a child, so not to put them in a crib um, or a Moses basket or anything that um, limits their movement. So they can go on a mattress on the floor with uh, their parents, you know, they're co-sleeping from the earliest uh, from the earliest hours and days and weeks. And this is what uh, we did with Olivia and Harry. Um, we co-slept with them when they were little and then they were transferred to their own mattress on the floor. They shared um, together when they were tiny. Now they have two large mattresses on the floor, still side by side, but they've had freedom of movement. Hi there, Kata, um, from the very beginning. <clears throat> so that's what it can look like for sleeping arrangements. Um, what else do I want to show you? What else did I want to say? Um, there's so much to say on this. Um, let's circle back actually to expectations of young children and movement. Uh, so much of what we see in Western society is um, designed to control children rather than to facilitate their movement. So um, cots, so those um, sitting up chairs, uh, rockers, bouncers, all of those things that contain children rather than allow their natural movement. 
All of those things are things that we want to move away from and instead create a safe space um, on the floor where they can move and explore freely. It seems counterintuitive, however, the more freedom they have from the earliest days, weeks and months and years is that the safer they will be because they know their, as I said before, capabilities, they know the limits of their body, they know, hi Summer, they know what they can do and what they can't do. Um, and another uh, element which um, is really uh, difficult in Western society is that we, so much of what we demand our ch of our children is unrealistic. So um, for a young child sitting in for an extended period of time in one place is almost impossible. It's undesirable and it's really, really counterproductive for the child because the child needs to move. They learn with all five of their senses during the first six years of life and they actually need to move. And so what this looks like um, say you're looking for an early childhood center, you're looking for a, a nursery center, not necessarily Montessori one, but you're looking for an, a, a center for your child. What you want to look at is what they are offering in terms of freedom of indoor and outdoor movement. How much of the time are the children expected to sit in circles, for example, circle time, to sing together or to listen to an adult talk or to read a story? What, where are they limited? Where are they restricted? Where are they being sought to be controlled? And that's a really, really good indicator of how much freedom of movement that your child is going to have. They absolutely need to move. It's vital for every area of their development. And be very, very wary of any childhood um, centre that talks about teaching your child to sit still or um, to uh, stay in one place or, you know, circle times where all the children are expected to sit together and do something together. Because for young children under the age of six, that's just... Um, impossible and completely undesirable. What they really, really need to do is move the whole time. An ideal scenario is when they're moving from gross motor to fine motor and they're moving. If they need to move again, they need to climb, then they get 10 minutes to climb, you know, spontaneously, and then they'll come back and do some more focus work. Or they'll be singing and dancing and moving around and jumping and running, and then they move back to another piece of work that interests them. But any type of environment which requires our children to sit um, and uh, for an extended period of time, I mean, anything more than a few minutes, really, for, for, for a young child, anything more than a few minutes is, um, is impossible, is setting them up to fail, and it doesn't meet their developmental need. Their developmental need is to move. Um, and um, at home, so if you, what you can do at home to facilitate movement is to just think of, if you've if you're lucky enough to have an outdoor space, even if that's a small terrace or a balcony, what can you do to allow your child to move in and out freely so they can move when they need to? Can Is there a way that um, they can move from things that they could do outside, I don't know, messy play or artwork or whatever it might be, to inside? Can they do that easily and spontaneously for themselves? They need to move all of the time. And I think... Um, when I work with parents, one of the, the, the main topics that comes up is this in terms of how can I get my child to sit still or how can I get my child to not be so active? And actually, we want the opposite. We want them to be active and we want them to be moving and we want them to be choosing what it is that they want to do because that's really fulfilling their need. When their needs are fulfilled, then they're actually learning more. They're absorbing more because they're fully engrossed in their whole body and what they're doing. Um, so 
think about in your outdoor, in your um, home environment, what can you do to facilitate indoor and outdoor more easily, more freely for your child so they can um, satisfy whatever they need at that moment um, in fullness. Hi there, everyone who's joining. So, do you know, I had lots and lots of notes of different examples and lots of other things we can talk about. Um, but what I really want, what I really want to do, is to invite you into um, getting curious about yourself and your your approach and your attitude towards your towards your child's need for movement. Get curious. Um, does it annoy me that they're wriggling and moving around the whole time? What can I do to support them more in this area? Uh, what do they really need when they're moving around? Just observe them for a bit. Ask yourself, what does what is he or she really, really needing in this moment? What can I add or remove from the environment? Is there something, is there a barrier that I've put in place somewhere that I need to remove so that they can have freedom of movement? Um, one tip that I can offer you, if you live in a two-story place, you've got a place with stairs and you have a baby who is um, a little baby or a crawling baby, the safest thing you can do with your stairs when you have a crawling baby is to remove the gate and allow them to learn to crawl, uh, sorry, learn to go up and down stairs when they're crawling because they're very, very low to the ground. They're on the ground, so it's safer. They don't have to do any balancing. What they can do is learn to go up and down, wriggle down, up and down, in a high Ivana, in a really, really safe way. So learning to um, use stairs when crawling is the safest way. And that seems really counterintuitive because we would all think, hang on, let's wait till they're walking really, really stably, and then we can show them how to do it. But actually the reverse is true. If we can, and, and I've seen this with so many clients, the earlier that they learn to use the stairs, then the safer they are when it comes to walking down them because they know they've made a plan, a safe plan when they're little. They obviously need to be supervised on stairs until they're much older, until three, four years old. They always need to be supervised. But the ability to go up and down safely is easier when they're crawling, when they're low to the ground, as I say, they're safer, when they don't have to worry about balance like they do when they're walking down, when they're jumping down. And um, they can move in a way that's uh, easy for them and can be they can be completely autonomous. We can't really help them when, when they're crawling and that's what we want. Whereas what lots of us do, and I know um, it's really high, yes, Satan, what's really easy to do is that once our child's walking, our tendency is to want to hold their hand as they go downstairs. But again, that's taking away their freedom of movement and that's actually hindering them because they can't actually, hi Christina, they can't actually um, really balance properly if we're holding their hand much better, much, much earlier. Allow them to, uh, allow them to learn to use the stairs when they're crawling um, right from the beginning. And then that makes them safer overall in the big picture. Um, so let's go back to our questions. So our things I'd like you to consider. Get curious. Get curious on um, where am I holding my child back? Where am I impeding and where am I hindering movement? Um, am I being controlling? It's really funny because Olivia, my daughter who's seven, 
she's saying she's going through this stage at the moment where telling me that I'm really really controlling and I'm really really strict with her and it's made me a bit paranoid because I don't think that I am but maybe she's right maybe I am so it makes me smile when I talk about in what ways are I restricting movement because this is really coming up for me at the moment and Olivia's seven and she's a lot older and she has complete freedom of movement and, and, and what have you in the home but intellectually she's really challenging me in that way at the moment and it's um it's really really interesting how at different stages our children challenge us in so many different ways um so ask yourself when our child is moving around the home when they're moving around you know observe them in a park at a play date when you're out um i don't know uh visiting friends um uh when you're out and about think um hi mercy violin uh, volume i always said i read violin but it's volume um Observe yourself and think, okay, how am I, what do they, what are, what does my child really, really need in this moment? And in what ways am I restricting them? Am I stopping them from climbing that climbing frame? Am I stopping them from exploring that tree? All of those questions really gently ask ourselves. And as I mentioned right at the beginning, when our child is climbing, um, then we can be really, we need to be really, really close to them. Um, but what we don't need to do is to put them in places that they can't get to. They're gonna climb up to the height of the playground or the top of the ladder or the platform or to go down the slide, whatever it is, when they are ready. If we lift them up there, say at two years old, when they haven't had that experience of climbing up for themselves, that's more dangerous for them. They don't know their body. What we, what our work is, I believe, in these first six years when we are facilitating freedom of movement is allowing our children to feel, to know really the, what their body's capable of, the power of their body, the power of their balance, the power of their strength, the power to hold back, the power of their patience, all of those different things. That's what they're learning um, in these first six years. And when we really know ourselves, we're in our bodies um, and we know what we're capable of, then we can feel the feelings, what am I capable of? We know what courage is and we know what fear is. We know when to um, hold back and when to push forward. All of these things are part of the emotional development and spiritual growth um, and sense of self and resilience that comes from complete freedom of movement. When, if we think it in very, very simple terms, a child who knows how to be crawl up and down the stairs safely a baby who knows how to crawl up and down the stairs safely is a really really um is really somebody who knows their body knows what they're capable of and um is knows how to get to the edge of something and practice coming down um slowly and gradually turning around reversing down the stairs these are such amazing skills you know we're using they're using gross motor fine motor they're using patience coordination concentration to go up and down stairs so this is really um intense work as it were for a baby so movement is hugely um, important and as I said right right at the beginning it has an impact on cognition it has an impact on emotional regulation and it has a huge impact about how our children feel about themselves and their capabilities what they're what they're really really able to do their um, their inner strength and their inner courage and the power that they have 
um, in the world, the power they have to um, move within their world and attend to their own needs. When they have freedom of movement, they can attend to their own needs. They can get a drink when they need it. They can get change when they need it. They can climb a tree when they feel that they need to. When they have freedom of movement, it gives them, uh, it helps develop their sense of agency. So it's a really, really big one. Um, other things in my journal prompts that I'd like you to do, get curious. What does my child need when she's moving a lot or he's moving a lot? In what ways am I restricting them? Am I restricting their movement at the moment? And then the last one, what can I change? Is there anything in my environment I can change? Is there anything um, in the playground that I want to approach differently now with them, now knowing that they need to do things of their own accord for their own, um, of their own efforts? Um, and just to finish, what I, what I love doing, I love intention setting. Um, and whenever I know that I've got something to move through in the next stage of my development, and that's like per personally or professionally, you know, in the classroom, I'm in a classroom of toddlers um, at uh, Monicole here in Dubai, and, um, and my intention is always to uh, serve the children that um, are in my class, to serve them and guide them and lead them, and for me to notice in what ways am I holding them back, in what ways am I restricting them, you know, what do they need from me that's going to help them evolve um, to their next stage of development. And so what I like to do is set intentions at the beginning of every week. You know, what do I want to bring forth? What, um, how do I want to connect more deeply with the children this week? Um, my own children and the children in my class. And so the, the intention I, I invite you to set and to maybe write down in your journal around movement is um, I set my intention or my intention is this week to facilitate freedom of movement for my child. What does that look like? Hi, Sarah. So um, I set my intention to facilitate freedom of movement, movement um, in my child this week. So what, what can I do? How, what can I bring forth to facilitate freedom of movement in my child? So there we are for this week on sensitivity to movement. It is an intense uh, sensitive period and it's from birth all the way to six years. And as I said at the beginning, beware of any um, camps or early childhood centers or lessons or anything for young children that suggests that they need to sit still for an extended period of time. That doesn't recognize the intense need. It's an inner drive of the child to move. Um, and what's really interesting and seems um, uh, counterintuitive, um, thanks for your question, Dave, give me one moment. Um, a, uh, and something that seems counterintuitive is the, the less that we restrict them in the earlier years, then the more sense of agency and the more, um, the word's gone out of my head, the more self-regulation they have later in terms of movement the safer they are later when, um, when it comes to uh, movement because they know the capacity and the capabilities of their own body. Um, David and Ivana, you've um, put, some really, put, some, put forth some really interesting questions. Ivana, I'll do yours first. Um, Ivana's question is, how do we ensure free mobility of a one-year-old um, when a 2.5 year old is very much present around her and not the most aware and gentle around her. Ivana, thank you. This is such a great question. I know Ivana's family really, really well and her children really well. Um, so what Ivana is um, 
working with with her children at the moment. She has a one-year-old who um, is either just started walking or just about to walk and is now in this beautiful toddler stage of exploring everything and a two and a half year old who is doing what every two and a half year old needs to do is to get into everything and be into everything and is very rumbustious and very very active um, and of course because he's two and a half doesn't yet have his reflex control doesn't have his impulse control and so um, can be quite physical at times and isn't yet able to be gentle in situations with his younger sister um, what I first want to say to Ivana and to everyone this is completely normal it's a completely normal situation um, impulse control comes a lot lot later and even eight nine ten year olds could be can be physical and um, cannot have very good impulses particular with particularly with younger siblings so it's all completely normal and our work really in this situation is to um, and I know you're doing this already is for um, the younger child to have as much time on her own freedom of the home as is possible and I know you're already doing doing this when Victoria's at nursery um, but when they're together is um, very much to see this as a learning opportunity for both children so um, for Victor what he's learning is holding back a little bit and he's learning in Montessori we would call it grace and courtesy so that we don't touch another person without invitation that's what his piece is his piece is learning that gentleness learning to control his impulses and um, learning that he can't uh, touch Amara unless he has her permission and Amara's piece is really stating her body boundaries her her role is coming into her power and if um, Victor is uh, too close to her or too much in her space she doesn't like that then it's very much stop I don't like that giving her the tools giving her the language so she's in her own power because we can role model all of this and we can give both children the language, but it's very much the interaction that we facilitate between the two of them, which is what really, really makes a difference. And to give you an example, hi, New Mini Montessori. Hi, everyone who's joining. Um, an example of this is in our toddler community. And last term in our toddler community, we had so much physical behavior, which is normal in the toddler age group. And we did so much work of the children who were being physical and the children who were receiving the physical behavior on both of them. Both of them have so much work to do on finding their own voice. So in terms of um, this situation, it's giving both children the tools that they need. One is to learn um, to be uh, more gentle and to be more mindful of his actions and how they affect other people. And the other child, her work is to find her own voice and to stay and to state and to say, stop, I don't like it or stop, no pushing or stop, this is my toy. Um, when another child is uh, interfering, it's the other child to find their voice. Um, and it's a difficult situation for us as parents when we have, um, particularly I think it's really just when we have two children, because we can really easily get into this situation of thinking of one child as the victim and one as the perpetrator. And I know I've fallen into this trap myself with Olivia and Harry a couple of years ago. So it's always um, also really, really um, important for us to be mindful of our reactions. And do we have any triggers around that that are taking place when we see, when, we've, when we have a feeling that there's one child who's dominating the whole time and the other child is being overpowered? Um, have a little think and write down in your, in your journal um, 
Ivana, what's coming up for you when you have these feelings that um, Amara has been overpowered and that um, Victor has been too overpowering? Because often the dynamic that is between siblings, it's there for a reason and it's something that they both play into and it's for us to give them the tools and to try as little projection as is possible, um, which is virtually impossible when it's our own children. But um, try those few things. Think of it really as the dynamic of the two children finding their voice. That's the most important piece in this. And let's go back to David's question. Oh, here we go. Um, David's question was, how about for older children, say six or seven, if we have limited them too much, can we catch up on those missed opportunities? Um, that's a really great question. Thank you for asking it. And um, firstly, for any parent who is in that position that feels that they've missed opportunities, please do not berate yourself or talk about how you wish you'd done things differently because that is a really a dead end to nowhere in terms of beating ourselves up. But what I can say to you in practical terms is, um, let's say there's three things you can do. One is allow your children to be barefoot as much as possible, and particularly on natural surfaces. Um, being barefoot uh, allows children and all of us to be more in contact with our body sensations. We, we feel through our feet. Children, particularly under the age of six, learn so much through their feet. And this carries on all through our childhood. So allow your children to have that sensory input. That's a really, really important part of movement and a child feeling in them or any of us feeling in our bodies is having that sensory input from being barefoot. That's the first thing. Um, the second thing is um, allowing as much time as possible for uh, climbing. Climbing is really, really important for children, particularly climbing trees in natural spaces, um, you know, climbing on rocks. Um, just thinking here in Dubai, we've got the rocks at the beach to climb on, we've got trees to climb in. Um, it, it, climbing in nature as much as possible because it is so um, uneven, as it were, because it's so rugged, because it's gives so much sensory out, um, output as well, so much sensory feedback for the hands and the feet. And in barefoot as much as possible, again, um, climbing in nature is really such a gift for um, children. It helps the upper body strength so much. It gives them so much self-confidence. So the first thing is barefoot. The second um, thing I'd say to do, we're talking about, if anyone who's just jumped in, we're talking about an older child, say six or seven. If a parent feels they've missed that, window of opportunity for, for movement and they feel they've um, restricted their child too much in the early years, what can they do to catch up or what can they do to facilitate this area of development now? The first thing, my suggestion was barefoot, the second thing was climbing in nature as much as possible. And um, the, the third thing I would say is um, allowing your child to do things that you would consider to be dangerous. So allowing them to do the things like balancing on a wall, like, um, I don't know, what else can I can think? Swinging in the trees. Anything that we consider for them to be a little bit dangerous that would be a bit too much for them, allow them to do those things. We're gonna be close by to support them, of course, but allow them to feel what their body is capable of um without us um holding them back it's such an amazing point of awareness to be at where we realize we may have held our child back but what part of the the big piece in allowing freedom of movement is trust and so if our child is older 
and we can put this trust piece in and know that our child is capable and know that given space and time that they will develop the skills that they need at their own pace and follow the natural path of development, this trust is a huge, huge piece. So we can trust they can get there, we can keep them barefoot, we can allow them to climb as much as possible in nature and we can let them do scary things with us close by. Um, I hope that helps. Let's see if there's any other questions. Um, hi, Ivana. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much. Um, do we have any more questions about movement? Um, we're going to quickly circle back to everything, just looking at time. Um, freedom of movement looks like, uh, let's talk about, uh, go back to the beginning. So movement is the foundation um, of cognition and emotional regulation. It is uh, a fundamental human need. It is the sensitive period in Montessori terms that goes from naught to six years old. Ideally, our children need um, uh, freedom of indoor and outdoor movement as much as possible. Um, asking them to sit and keep still for extended periods of time, any more than a few minutes, is unrealistic and undesirable. They learn through movement. Everything that they learn, they learn through movement in the first six years of life. So we want them to move. We want them to be active. Um, and be very wary of any early childhood centre that wants to control your child and make them sit in a circle and make them do um, things for extended periods of time in one spot because that's not going to be serving the needs of the child. Um, what can we do? Oh, from movement, uh, freedom of movement for a baby looks like having them on the floor, not in a cot, not in a Moses basket, not in a rocker, not in one of those chairs, not in one of the bouncy things that you hang in the door. Um, it really means allowing them to be on the floor on a sheepskin. Sheepskins are great because they support all of um, the muscles, all of the joints. Because they're a mammal, they help a child um, relax and sleep. It's mammalian, so it feels, uh, so there's a sense of comfort there. Um, they are so good for bed sores. I know that they're used a lot um, for elderly people with bed sores. The... There's a study being done on asthma. They help with asthma. They help with eczema. Um, premature babies who are put on sheepskins sleep better and gain weight longer, uh, gain weight faster. There's so many benefits to a sheepskin. They're really snuggly, and babies absolutely love lying them. You want to have a shorn uh, sheepskin, shorn short, like this one. This one was from when I bought it in Cape Town seven years ago. Um, but I bought loads when the children were little and they still sleep on them now. Olivia and Harry still sleep on the um, sheepskins that they had when they uh, were babies. Um, what else can I tell you? Freedom of movement for a crawling baby looks like them crawling up and down the stairs by themselves, them learning that, them us teaching them, us showing them how they can reverse backwards safely, us showing them how to climb up. Um, that's what freedom of movement looks like for a crawling baby. Freedom of movement for a toddler means allowing them to walk and then they'll start running and they'll want to balance and they'll want to climb and doing all of these um, amazing things. But we need to allow them to do these things on their own without. So if they want to go on a balance bar, but they can't make it, it's best to not hold their hand. It's best to allow them to do what they can do at their level. So, for example, at Monocol at school, we've got... Um, two balance bars. So what I do for my toddlers, I push them together so it's wider. 
and there's some children who aren't ready and they ask for my hand, they ask for my hand and I suggest, oh, just sit down. And so when they're ready, they crawl along it. And then when they feel a bit braver, they stand up and they wobble a little bit and they get back down and they crawl along at it. And there's some children who are really, really confident and will stand up and walk along it and then will jump off the other end, you know, two feet um, on the ground. But each child is at their own level. But what I do is I ensure that I'm not pushing them further than what their body would do. I don't give them a hand to hold on to because that's not helping them with their balance. That's not helping them know what their body is capable of. Um, instead, what I do is sit on the ground and observe where they are. Where are they putting their feet? What can I do to help them? I ask them to remove their shoes first thing, shoes and socks first thing, so that um, they can really, really feel the bar. They can feel, they can grip with their toes if they need to. So all of these things are really, really important. It's um, allowing the, them to move by their own efforts, not putting them up to, not putting them up higher than they can climb themselves. These tiny, tiny little things that make a huge difference to a child's um, safety overall and sense of self and capability. Um, thank you, Jenny. Thank you for saying that I inspire you. I felt very inspired when I lived in Cape Town. Olivia was born there. So I think uh, Cape Town had such a huge impact on me as an educator, my experience at Little Hands. Um, the people I met, the women I worked with, um, everything. That mountain, living under that amazing mountain. Um, yeah, it was really, it was just such a pivotal moment in, in, my, in my career and experience. And yeah, it's, it's really, anyone who hasn't been to Cape Town, go, because it's an amazing city. South Africa is an amazing country. Um, what else can I tell you? I think that's everything. Um, freedom of movement essential in the first six years of life. Um, I will put this on my feed as always this evening and it will go on YouTube, iTunes and Spotify if you'd like any more information um, on babies, toddlers or preschoolers please go to my website enrichingenvironments.com um, or my podcast series, The Montessori Mission, is also on all of the platforms and my book will be coming out in a few weeks' time. I have meditation for children in my online shop at enrichingenvironments.com. Uh, that's a meditation I recorded last year. It's a 10-minute, hi, Sophia, a 10-minute um, meditation to help your child fall asleep at night. And I think that's all my news. Thank you so much for joining me. Next week, we are going to be doing a sensitive period for language. So the third sensitive period we're going to look at is language, and that's next week. And actually, Ivana, who joined earlier and asked the question about her children, she sent me a really interesting video of her son, and so that's going to be featuring as part of language development. Also, as part of language development, we're going to have a little focus on toddlers and what language development looks like in toddlers, particularly when they're trying to communicate and they bite each other, because that's all part of language development. Um, and it's something that I'm living at the moment, so um, I've got a lot of experience with that. Um, and it's just all the experience I'm having and the more reading I do, the more I uncover and the more so many things make sense with children. It's just absolutely fascinating. So I can't wait to share all of that with you next um, week. That will be Top Tip Tuesday, uh, Tuesday 19th. Yeah, it will be Tuesday 19th of April. And until then, keep sending me your DMs and your updates and everything that's happening in your world. And I'll speak to you soon. Take care. Lots of love.